Acts 28. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and he put it on the fire. Sorry, as, as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake was hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and snuffed, suffered no ill effect. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said, he is a God. Oh, sorry, he was a God. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from a fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When, his, when, he, uh, when this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honoured us in many ways and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. <clears throat> After three months, we put out to sail, put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Rehugium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Petulai. There, we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers there had heard that we were coming, and they travelled as far as Forum and Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the side of, the, of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people and against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me, but because I, had, because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come there, none of the brothers have come from there, has reported or said anything about you. 
but we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to a place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardened, so they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Please leave your Bibles open there at Acts chapter 28. Let's pray. Father God, as we approach this final chapter in the book of Acts, although we know it's not the final chapter, uh, we pray that your spirit would work amongst us, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see. We pray that we would uh, be changed, encouraged and challenged by your word today and that you would remind us of your faithfulness to every single word you have declared. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 13, verse 1, tells those who trust in Jesus these words. It tells us to submit themselves to the governing authorities. 1 Peter chapter 2 actually ratchets that up a bit higher and says that we are to submit to every authority instituted by man. That's what we are called to do. As those who trust in God's sovereign care and sovereign protection over those who trust in him. But it isn't always easy because there will always be leaders who we don't feel have our best interests at heart. Leaders who don't keep their word and who we don't feel like we can trust. It can be really hard to submit yourself to leaders who you don't feel are are telling you the truth or being true to their word. And so after a great deal of research, I think I have found a political party that we can all get behind and support. A political party that's been completely true to every single one of their promises through every single one of their campaigns. Now, I know what you're thinking. What guy, what planet is this guy on? Well, you're only thinking that because you haven't heard of the Rhinoceros Party of Canada. Now, the Rhinoceros Party was founded in 1963 
by a Canadian named Jacques Ferrin. I probably pronounced that wrong, but I'm going with that. And their campaign promise was a promise to keep none of their promises. They were asked uh, why they named their party the Rhinoceros Party, and their reply was this. There was no one more suitable for the job because all politicians are thick-skinned, slow-moving, dim-witted, can move extremely fast when in danger, and have a large hairy horn growing out of the middle of their faces. Now, that's their words, not mine. Um, in their campaign in 1979, they pledged to move Great Britain, Britain into Canadian territory and make it uh, Canada's 11th province. To boost the country's electricity, they pledged to build nuclear power plants in every house and to provide Canadian citizens with lead underwear. In 1984, in their campaign then, they promised to destroy all small businesses and replace them with very small businesses with less than one employee. During their campaign, uh, this same campaign, one of their candidates was able to come up with his own policy and his proposal was to move Antarctica into Canadian territory. It says, once we have Antarctica, we'll control the world's cold. And if there's ever another cold war, well, we'll be invincible. Some other notable campaign promises they made was to repeal the law of gravity, to provide higher education by building taller schools, abolishing the environment because it's too hard to keep clean, uh, personal favourite, banning guns and butter, because both kill. And last but not least, changing Canada's currency to bubblegum so that it can be inflated and deflated at will. Despite making so many radical promises, the Rhinoceros Party remained true to every single one of their words because they promised not to keep any of their promises. Now, that is a political party that you can get behind and support. When leaders lie and they break our promises, it damages, break their promises, it damages our trust. And it makes it hard for us to submit to their authority, authorities that we don't feel have our best interest at heart. But even though we can't always trust human authorities, we can always, without exception, trust God to deliver on every single one of his promises. It's coming up on Christmas time again. And at Christmas, we celebrate the good news that God has delivered on his very first promise by sending his son. At Easter, we celebrate the second part of God's promise. When Jesus died for our sins and rose again. And because God has, without exception, been true to every one of his promises, we can be sure that one day he will return to take all those who trust in him to be with him and to judge the living and the dead. Today's section is the final message in the, our series in the book of Acts. And in today's section, God is fulfilling his word to Paul. As we heard last time, Paul had suffered a great deal because of his hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
But in these verses, as Paul faces lots and lots of uncertainty and a whole heap of difficult circumstances, his hope and his confidence are steadfast. Because Paul was trusting in the one who is always true to his promises and faithful to all of his words. In the last chapter, we heard how the ship that Paul was on as he, as he was being taken to Rome was caught up in an incredibly violent storm. This storm lasted for two whole weeks and caused so much damage it ended up destroying the ship. During those one of those long nights on the ship as these waves crashed against the hull, an angel of the Lord met with Paul and reminded him what God had said back in chapter 25, verse 23. Back there, God had promised that Paul would testify about him in Rome. But here on the ship, the angel also made another promise, that God was going to protect everyone on board that ship. God had given his word. And so that meant that no matter how bad this storm got, no matter how serious these waves were, everything was going to be okay because God is always faithful to his promises. And we heard last week that everyone did make it off that ship and safely to shore. God had protected them from the storm. He protected them from the guards who wanted to kill all the prisoners before they could escape. And he brought them safely onto the island of Malta. Now on dry land and safe from the storm, the men from the ship, all 276 of them, were welcomed with great kindness by the people of Malta. The people of Malta built a, uh, quite a significant fire for them to welcome them and to give them an opportunity to warm themselves because everyone and everything was cold and wet after this storm. And while they warmed themselves by the fire, Paul decided to collect some wood to, to stoke the fire, no doubt. But as he did, we're told a snake that must have been in the timbers that he picked up was driven out by the fire, bit him and latched itself onto his hand. Now, from the description the islanders give of what they thought was going to happen next, this must have been a venomous snake. They're expecting Paul to, to swell up or suddenly drop dead. And so when they saw that this venomous snake had attacked him straight after he'd been saved from this incredible storm, they assumed that he must be a murderer. But, but when nothing happened, when they looked at him for a great deal of time and nothing happened, well, they changed their minds and decided that he was a god. See, they were trying to do their best to understand what God was doing as God kept his promise. Paul, on the other hand, was completely unfazed by this snake. They'd just seen Paul delivered from this storm and then from this venomous snake. And so that could have been the reason how, why uh, Paul was uh, invited to the home of the chief official of the island. We need to remember that Paul was still a prisoner at this point, and yet now he was staying at one of the most important people on the island. Luke makes no mention of the centurion through this section or his guards as well, which indicates that 
Paul might have gained a quite a significant amount of freedom by this point. And while Paul was staying with Publius, the chief official of the island, we're told that Paul found out that his father was unwell. So he went to his bedside, he prayed with him, prayed for him, and he was healed. Now, there's no doubt we can be sure that Paul would have been sharing the good news of Jesus with Publius and his whole family. We know that. That was just in Paul's DNA. And God, as God used this incredible miracle of healing Publius's father, God was testifying to the truth of the good news of Jesus. Once word had gotten around the island, lots of people brought their sick to Paul in order for them to be healed. And again, we can assume that Paul would have shared the good news of Jesus with them. Many of those people were healed, but Luke doesn't tell us how many, if any, of them came to saving faith in Jesus. And so after they'd spent uh, three months on that island, they got onto another ship that was heading to Rome. Now, quite ironically, Luke makes mention, he didn't need to put this in there, but he makes mention that on this ship there, there was a figurehead of two Greek gods, Castor and Pollux. These Greek gods were there to protect that ship and their, during their voyage at sea, which is quite ironic because Paul and Luke were on a ship that was being sovereignly protected by the Lord of the universe. This time the wind was heading in the right direction, the, the way they wanted it to go, which made for smooth and easy sailing. And so they sailed from place to place until they reached Petoli, where they met with some believers who welcomed them into their home. Now, Petoli wasn't one of the places that Paul had travelled on or travelled to during his missionary journeys. So it's thought that these believers had probably moved there when the former Emperor Claudius had expelled both Jews and Christians from Rome. We read about that back in eight, chapter 18, verse 2. And before Paul had even made it to Rome, after he'd left Petoli on his way to Rome, another group of believers travelled out to meet him along the way. When Paul saw these believers, he was greatly encouraged by what God had been doing. It's always encouraging when we come across other believers in places we don't expect. It's an instant encouragement as you get the opportunity to connect with them. And after meeting with these believers, Paul finally made it into Rome. In Rome, Paul's reception was quite different to the reception he'd re received in Jerusalem. Paul was allowed to live by himself. He was still under guard, but he was able to live in his own home and not kept in a prison. And when he, was, when he met with these Jewish religious leaders in that area, there doesn't seem to be any hostility between them and Paul. Somehow in the providence of God, they hadn't heard about anything that had taken place in Jerusalem. That's not a little thing. And the Jews in Jerusalem, for some reason, well, they hadn't made any attempt to send letters on to warn them about Paul or to send witnesses either. 
It's quite possible the Jews in Jerusalem were just happy to have him out of their hair. But even after Paul had met with these Jews in Rome and spoken with them at length about the good news of Jesus, showing from the law and the prophets that Jesus is the Christ, these Jews, these Jews in Rome, they didn't get stirred up into a violent mob like the Jews in Jerusalem had done. Instead, those who believed spent more time hearing from Paul and those who rejected the good news simply went away. And so for two whole years, just as God had promised, Paul was able to preach the good news of Jesus without any hindrance while he remained under arrest in his own rented home. In these verses, we see Paul's trust in God's promise to him on display in some really difficult circumstances. Throughout this section, Paul is a prisoner of Rome, and he remains that way right to the end of this chapter. But because God is always true to his word, Paul's confidence was never shaken. Once God had told Paul that he would testify in, in for, about him in Rome, Paul knew that the angry mob in Jerusalem wouldn't be able to kill him. He knew that the violent storm on their way to the ship that had lasted two long weeks and eventually destroyed the ship couldn't kill him either. God had said that Paul would testify in Rome, and so Paul knew that whatever came his way, God was going to protect him. Just as he protected all of the prisoners on board that ship from being killed before they could get us to escape. He protected Paul from that venomous snake that attacked him and provided all those on board with the hospitality of the Maltese people. Along the way, he gave Paul many opportunities to share the good news of Jesus as well till Paul finally made it to Rome, just as God had said, where Paul was able to testify to both Jews and Greeks about the good news of the risen Lord Jesus. Because God is always true to his word. When Luke started the book of Acts, back all the way back in chapter 1, which for us was a while ago, he explained that this book was a continuation of all that Jesus had begun to do and to teach. We call this book the book of Acts, or sometimes the Acts of the Apostles. But it's really the Acts of the risen Lord Jesus. As God continues, even after the book of Acts has ended, right up until today and well into the future, to bring people to himself through his Son. Just as he promised, the prophet Jeremiah long ago in Jeremiah 31. This is the covenant that I make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. God is always faithful to his promises and always 
true to his word. Now, we don't each have specific promises that God's made to us as, as Paul had in these verses. He hasn't promised that we'll have a long and, and comfortable life. He hasn't promised us good health or financial security. Rather, as we see throughout Paul's life in the book of Acts, we know that our lives won't always be smooth sailing. Like Paul, our final destination is guaranteed because God, is his way of salvation is sure because it's based on his word. He sent his son to live the sinless life that we could never live, to die the death in our place that we deserve to die, to cover our sins and to restore our relationship with him. He raised him back to life again on the third day as the first to rise from the dead so that our hope in him would be secure. Christmas is a wonderful time for us to celebrate being with family, sharing presents and, and getting away for a bit of a break. But it's ultimately a reminder that God is always faithful to his promises and true to his word. And because of this, we can always trust him to do whatever he has said he will do. He's not a politician who makes empty promises that he won't fulfill. He is always, without exception, true to his word. And so we can be sure that one day he will return to judge the living and the dead and to take all those who trust in him to be with him in paradise forever. And so we can live in the light of that hope with certainty and confidence because God is always faithful to his promises. Let's pray. Father God, sometimes when we're in the midst of hard circumstances, we can forget your faithfulness. Sometimes when we're caught up in the busyness, and particularly the busyness of this time of the year, we can lose sight of the hope we have. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on the hope we have in Christ Jesus this Christmas. Help us to remember what wonderful news Jesus entering our world is. That you sent your son so that we might have life in you. Lord, we pray that that might be the joy that we receive and, and continue to receive this Christmas. Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.